Hi, I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, and for the podcast this week, we're happy to be joined by Attorney General Candidate Zephyr Teachout. Welcome. Hi, I'm thrilled to be on. I love to listen, and uh, happy to get a chance to talk. Thanks for being here. Um, So you're running for Attorney General, a bit of a crowded Democratic primary. I think first, I'm curious how you define the the job of Attorney General, the role of Attorney General. This is sort of... uh, you ask 10 people, even people in the know, they have 10 different definitions. So how do you define the role? Yeah, well, it's the chief law enforcement officer um, in the state of New York. And um, the job then broadly um, is to be an independent voice for law. Um, It's elected in New York. That's not true in all states. Um, In some states, the attorney general is appointed. Here it is an elected position, which means that you have a special responsibility to really represent justice in the state. Now, that means a lot of different things, Um, and it means different things at different times. And one of the things that I believe is that uh, the role of the attorney general's office does change with the changing challenges. And at this moment, because of the threats coming from the Trump administration, Um, and Republican rollbacks of environmental protections and um, uh, financial regulation protections, the role changes. Um, There's several different segments of the job. So why don't we just walk through a few of them? We're not going to cover all of them. (laughs) Right. Highlights. So so first let me just talk about the job in relationship to Trump, because I think that's something that's very much on people's minds. the attorney general's office standing in and representing the people of the state um, uh, can and does, in fact, the last attorney general and Barbara Underwood have both been very aggressive on this, file really important lawsuits when the federal government is violating federal and state law. So, for example, when the EPA illegally rolls back protections not following um, the Administrative Procedure Act, the attorney general steps forward and files those suits. The uh, other Trump, there's two other Trump-related roles, one of which um, uh, I I think is really important. It's something which I would bring to the Attorney General's office, um, which is that the Attorney General has jurisdiction and responsibility to guard the integrity of businesses and nonprofits in the state of New York. Um, Is given the special role by statute to protect against um, lawlessness and fraud in the companies that operate here. And um, outside of Trump's formal role as president, he also has the Trump Organization and the Trump Foundation. And the center of the Trump Organization is here in New York. The center of the Trump Foundation is here in New York. Um, There's a lot of reason to believe that there is, I mean, some some lawless behavior we know of already, but there's a reason to believe that there's a lot of other kinds of lawless behavior going on. This is something that I um, talked to the former Attorney General Eric Schneiderman about, the ways in which we can use law not just as a shield against the Trump administration, but as a sword to go after illegal, fraudulent behavior in Trump's businesses. And I I think that's really, really important because, um, you know, at the heart of the presidency is a kleptocracy, is using the presidency to to get wealthy and violating the law doing that. And that's something that I would focus on. It's something my own background lends itself to. Um, Honestly, it's something I've been doing since he became president. Um, Long before you knew that this opening was going to occur in the Attorney General's office. Yeah, it's actually, you know, I think a lot of us responded to Trump's election trying to decide what is the way in which I can best bring my own background and my skills to deal with this crisis moment. And I, um, 
uh, helped build a team of lawyers um, and was one of those lawyers who filed a lawsuit against Donald Trump in the Southern District of New York just three days after he become, became president, demanding that he divest all his business interests because keeping those business interests is in violation of uh, key anti-corruption clauses of the Constitution. Um, I've continued to work with attorney generals in uh, the attorney general's teams in Maryland and D.C. on uh, parallel lawsuits. The attorney general in New York has not brought that lawsuit. I think, um, I mean, I know as attorney general I would, um, but it's one of a suite of business-related lawsuits. Follow the money and go after the heart of power. Um, there's a few other areas in which the relationship to Trump is important. Again, this is not all of the work or even necessarily the bulk of the day-to-day -day work, but I think given the moment, it's important to understand. What did you think of uh, Eric Scheinerman's performance as AG? Obviously, we understand the end of his term, what we found out about is a different story, but right. how he performed the roles you're talking about and the other roles of the office and how you would be different in your approach? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, there's, there's things that I bring that are unique, a background in anti-corruption work, um, one of the things that I believe is we should beef up our public corruption unit, um, beef up the criminal unit. Um, and those are areas that I have a background in. Um, and we have a crisis moment, not only federally, but here in New York State. Um, just to give you a, a step back a bit, and you guys are good at going into the weeds. So <laughs> um, when Bob Abrams was attorney general and Reagan came into power, he really transformed the office in some ways, moving it from an office whose primary job was defending the state in slip and falls, defending the state, which is still a big part of the office, an important part of the office, to saying, okay, if the federal government isn't going to deal with environmental disasters, I'm going to pursue Love Canal. If the federal government isn't going to enforce antitrust law. So he really moved it from a defensive office to an offensive office. And I do think that's this. we're in another one of those times where what's happening at the federal level shapes what we should do at the state level. So things that I would do that are different include, one, a greater focus on um, corruption in the business areas with, with Trump, um, two, beefing up the, the uh, criminal corruption, uh, the corruption unit and the crim unit. Um, we haven't even gotten to the ways in which I think the attorney general really has to step up, um, given the broken politics in Albany and be both a voice and an investigator and, where necessary, a prosecutor of um, uh, uh, wrongdoing that's happening in Albany because of the absence of another check here. And again, that's context specific. You know, in an ideal world, we wouldn't, uh, you, you could rely on existing agencies like J-COPE, uh, which is a broken agency at its core, but you can't, and it's really holding back New York. Do you think, I'm sorry, do you think, uh, just you, you mentioned the word check, and I was curious, outside of the realm of corruption, mm -hmm. is the AG supposed to be a check on the governor's power? Do you see that as a function of the job? It's an independent voice. So um, uh, in the corruption area, that's important, but it really, again, it's an elected office in New York. And by constitutional design, we wanted to split those authorities in New York. Unfortunately, what's happened, um, both because of um, the characters involved, including Andrew Cuomo, who's very much focused on um, gathering power in the executive branch in lots of different ways, uh, because of the budgeting process and the three men in the room process, we've seen this incredible concentration of power in the executive branch in New York. 
and um, that has led to corruption, legal and illegal. We see an example of the illegal form of that this summer in the Cagliaros trial. Um, you know, I'm a student of history, so uh, one of the things the uh, writers of our Constitution were really wary of is the ways in which concentrated power tends to lead to corruption. So to answer your question, um, yes, um, you know, be, a, be an independent voice on transparency, which is so critically important. Be an independent voice on, you know, one thing I care a lot about is um, uh, criminal justice reform and police transparency. Be a voice on saying all, uh, you know, when there's a police shooting of a um, civilian, we should know the names of those shooters within 48 hours. That's what Las Vegas does, and then release all records within 72. There's some areas, in other words, where the attorney general doesn't have direct jurisdiction, but I think when it comes to corruption, voting rights, and criminal justice, I still think it's part of the job to use that platform to say, I represent, you know, the uh, aspiration of justice in this state, and we can't have justice without voting rights, without criminal justice reform. I wanted to ask a little bit more about that because, as you said, the role of the attorney general has has a lot of different elements. We didn't right. even touch on a number of them, but um, one is to defend the state right. in lawsuits, yeah. and the other is to is to file lawsuits that you know we as at least as we've seen with Governor Cuomo and Attorney General Schneiderman, and now even with Attorney General Underwood. Are, are in concert between the attorney general and the governor. Uh, how, you know, how do you uh, navigate that if you're attorney general and, let's say, Governor Cuomo is reelected, mm -hmm. given all the criticism that you've thrown at him both in the last several months, but also obviously you ran against him four years ago in a primary? Yeah. Uh, honestly, it'll be the same whether it's Governor Cuomo or Governor Nixon. Um, you know, first of all, I'm very easy to get along with. <laughs> Um, but second of all, and I, you know, I spoke to former, former Attorney General um, Bob Abrams about this question. He's available to talk to any of the candidates, but was quite helpful on talking about this. And sometimes you get along with the governor, sometimes you don't. But the truth is, 98% of the time in the cases where you're representing the state, you're going to be in concert. However, as he said in his Crane's article about what to look for in an Attorney General, you need to also have that independence. Um, because it, the Attorney General's office can't be either perceived as or be an arm of the executive branch. Um, so I'm not concerned about you know, smooth operations. And just quickly, yeah. it seems to me like you've um, measured your language a little bit more as you're running for Attorney General with regard to Governor Cuomo, you know, being a little more careful about sort of alleging nefariousness by saying, you know, he's concentrated power, he's not necessarily on trial himself, but his close aides are. I mean, am I wrong? Is Yeah, it, no, no. That's, you know, yeah. it, I mean, and I mean I'm, I'm very much focused on the attorney general's race, but I am um, uh, unbelievably disappointed with the failure to have a Democratic Senate, with the closure, alleged closure of the Moreland Commission, which I think is a real stain on New York government. Um, 
uh, I want to be very clear. I think what you may be asking about is some, you know, somebody asked me if he committed a crime, and I, you know, I'm not going to be alleging crimes. Um, I think it's very important not to be alleging crimes. But there's no question that there's a culture of corruption in Albany, and that Andrew Cuomo has both promised to do something about it in 2010, and not only not done something about it, but encouraged instead a culture of secrecy. Um, Jay Cope is just one example. Um, uh, should I explain what Jacob is? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, we'll I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. I want to ask about an issue where I think maybe the, the Attorney General's bully pulpit role is what's uh, relevant, which is ICE and the immigration yes, story that's playing yes. out. Uh, in your call, as many have, to abolish ICE. Yes. Um, as a ponytailed college student in the 90s, I remember marching against the Clinton era immigration yep. changes, and there the enemy was INS, which was detested by people who had loved ones who were not documented. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know ICE is a different creature, maybe it is worse, but what do you see replacing ICE with, or is abolishing ICE a call for some form of open borders? Yeah, well I want uh, to tell you a little bit about my own background on this issue. In, in 2010, you may recall um, Arizona passed a law called SB 1070. Um, this was the law that uh, said uh, that police officers should stop people that looked quote-unquote suspicious. Um, I actually went to a rally in Foley Square <laughs> and really tried to think about what I could do to stand up against this, which we now see was not the certainly not the beginning. We have a long history of racism in this country, but um, an early move in what we've now seen is our um, incredible use of um, federal government in racially discriminatory ways, having ICE inside our states, stopping people asking, show me your papers, which is r really degrades liberty in our country for all of us, for all of us. So I flew to Arizona and spent the summer in Arizona working with activists there. Um, I actually went to several uh, Joe Arpaio events, got kicked out of a Tea Party rally that Arpaio was at with the lawyer Randy Paraz uh, delivered a lawsuit against Arpaio for his own actions. And what you could see there in Arizona in 2010, you're now seeing on a national level, which is um, the use of these federal agencies in a cruel, lawless, arbitrary, and racist way. Here's the problem. This is how these agencies were designed that um, by putting ICE and CBP, Customs and Border Patrol, within the Department of Homeland Security, where executive power is at its very peak, where our ability to question decisions um, is at its uh, nadir. Um, folks may not realize this, but our questions about uh, you know, real concerns I, I, um, about ICE are also related to the mu recent Muslim ban Supreme Court decision, which held wrongly that we shouldn't question the motives, even if they're racist motives, of the executive branch when it comes to matters of national security. So by placing, I, uh, placing any kind of immigration policy within national security, we're um, insulating it from a lot of aspects of law. It's become a rogue agency. Um, uh, I think that uh, there's a lot of confusion around the relationship between CBP and ICE, um, uh, but uh, there's some basic principles. We should abolish ICE and there's some basic principles that we should follow in thinking about 
how to um, enforce immigration policy. And then, of course, this is all in the backdrop of Congress um, grotesquely kicking the can down the road and not actually um, passing comprehensive immigration reform. But if Congress isn't going to act, we shouldn't then say, well, Congress isn't acting, therefore we should have a lawless agency. No, we should abolish the agency. As a um, candidate running for a law enforcement position, yeah. um, how do you discuss this idea of, you know, we, and we're seeing this with district attorney's offices in New York City and across the state, but how do you think about this notion of sometimes you decide not to really enforce, you know, to prosecute certain crimes or you heighten it, uh, heighten the way that you enforce others and investigate others. You said a lot of it is very circumstantial. Isn't that not really how the law is supposed to work? Aren't, you know, if the laws are on the books, aren't you supposed to, you know, sort of just uphold the law? Um, well, there's a book. Oh, I wish I could remember its name. It's something like... Corruption. Uh, no, no. Oh, oh. <laughs> right, no. It's, it's something like 80 felonies a day or 80 uh -huh. crimes a day. I forget whether it's 50 or 80. But in fact, our uh, criminal justice system, we have so many laws on the books that the number of laws that we're all violating all the time is enormous. And that puts an incredible amount of discretion in law enforcement um, agencies. And... Um, in that context, a few things. One is for most of the, well, let me step back for a sec. One of my sort of core platforms is ending mass incarceration. And I think it's really important for law enforcement and attorney generals to be standing up for that. Um, and we've seen a few examples of that in Philadelphia and elsewhere. We're in the middle of a wave. I think people are, uh, I, I'm sure New Yorkers are ready for this. Um, uh, a lot of the actual enforcement of um, drug-related crimes, low-level crimes, is not done by the, that's not really not the AG's purview. That's very much DA's, the DA's purview. What the AG can do is be outspoken voice against cash bail, um, outspoken voice for discovery reform. New York has some of the worst discovery statutes in the country. And folks may not realize this, but a lot of people... Uh, who are incarcerated in this country are not in prison but in jail. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have money for bail and in New York they don't even know what the witnesses have said against them because we don't have good discovery laws. Um, and that that undermines law itself. That undermines a basic premise of innocent until proven guilty. So that's why I think it's important for an attorney general whose job is the people's lawyer. It's there as sort of the people's lawyer is the fundamental commitment to uh, um, of the job um, uh, that and has been for decades, we have to say that isn't justice. That isn't that isn't actually holding up our standards of law. I've been a strong proponent of um, uh, legalizing marijuana, um, as well as engaging with making sure that we have good reentry programs. Um, all of those are subsets of a, something larger, which is collectively changing the culture of prosecution and what prosecution looks like in this country. The wrong people are in prison right now, basically. You know, we've we got to be prosecuting financial crimes. Um, we got to be prosecuting corruption in state government. Um, but putting people in jail and prison because of the color of their skin, because of an addiction they may have, or because they can't pay bail, that's wrong. And that actually, um, 
undermines our claim to law in this state. So I see the role there as the, as the AG as in some ways a organizing and leadership role, um, supporting the DAs that are changing their priorities. Um, speaking out, and I probably won't make a lot of friends here, but I, but I think it's really important speaking out against prosecutorial misconduct and making sure that we have real independent checks on that prosecutorial misconduct in New York State. We have some of the highest levels in New York State, in fact, of um, people being found innocent after um, prosecutors hit evidence. Yeah, That's just, totally unacceptable. We just looked. There's a bill that the governor has to act on whether to sign into law this new prosecutorial misconduct commission. Mm -hmm. um, but we're, we, we only have you for a few more minutes. Yes. We'll, we'll get you back on the podcast. Yes, but, uh, might go be, ahead. Might be Last. A, a final question. We're just, yeah. just getting back to the, you know, Trump is so central to yeah. the argument you're making. I'm curious. Is for progressives, can can Trump and can Trumpism be defeated through lawsuits, through court action? Not just in the question of Trump stacking the federal judiciary with judges who agree with him, but yeah. in the sense of making the argument to the millions of people who supported Trump in a democracy, is it going to be a convincing case to curtail his power through lawsuits, or is there is there another argument that needs to, needs to be made more popularly to the larger questions of whether this is the way our country needs to go. Um, okay, <laughs> a few a few things. Big question. To me, what yeah, to me what what one of the main things that Trump represents is um, arbitrary power, and the response to arbitrary power is law. But for that law to be a persuasive, compelling counterargument, law standing for equality. For, for liberty, in, in the serious sense of liberty, for due process, for every person having equal dignity in the eyes of the state. For that to be convincing, that law needs to be wielded in a, a fair way, without fear or favor. Um, we haven't talked about a lot of the other parts of the AG's office that I care about deeply, like health insurance fraud and mm -hmm. environmental protection, but there's a deep distrust in this country right now of the, um, of the, the possibility of law as a truly fair tool. So the counter-argument to Trump isn't just the lawsuits against Trump. It isn't just making sure that he, he doesn't have a get-out-of-jail-free card and bringing prosecutions here. It's also showing that in New York State, we're going after big real estate, even if they're LLC donors. We're going after... Um, uh, big uh, drug companies, even if they're corporate PAC donors. And so the day-to-day -day work of the AG's office can be part, a really critical part of being that living counterexample to what Donald Trump um, represents. It's not just resistance. It's actually a forceful argument for um, equality. Let me just sneak one more quick one in there. We'll get you out the door. Um, you have three primary opponents in the Democratic primary, yes. public advocate Letitia James, uh, Lisa Eve and uh, House Rep Sean Patrick Maloney. We don't have time for you to, to dissect each one and what differentiates you, but but how would you say generally that you separate yourself from that pack? It's some pretty impressive resumes. Uh, Tish James obviously has the state party backing. Sean Patrick Maloney has been in Congress. Um, how do you how do you say you're the better the better candidate for Attorney General? Well, there's two things. One is uh, for nearly 20 years, I have been steeped in cutting edge law around anti-corruption and constitutional law, which is essential at this moment with the Trump threat and with our own corruption threat in New York State. But in very particular ways, even in the last month, 
we've seen real differences. I'm the only candidate to call on Seth Agata, uh, the head of J-Cope, to resign. This is Seth Agata. I can't list all the problems, but just last week we found that he um, uh, basically told Joe Loda in an email that he could maintain very serious of conflicts, conflicts of interest while um, running the MTA. Totally unacceptable. Um, I'm the only candidate um, to uh, uh, call out, uh, you know, Andrew Cuomo to make sure that he returns the, the, the Trump donations. I'm the only candidate. This is very important. This should be a no-brainer to call on all the IDC candidates who took illegal money, a court found that it was illegal money, to return their campaign donations. I'm the only candidate not to take corporate money, and I think it's particularly inappropriate to take corporate money when you're a candidate for attorney general. Um, I'm the only candidate um, to call for uh, uh, Bill de Blasio to release the names of the officers who shot um, Saheed Vassal. Um, those are just some examples, but what I think that shows you, and that's just a month, <laughs> what I think that shows you is in each of those cases, these are instances in which I have been willing, as I have my entire career, uh, to call out questions of corruption even when there are those in power. And uh, that to me is an essential feature of the job. Zephyr Teach Out, we will leave it there, but we'll hope to uh, get you on again maybe before primary day. Great Thanks. to be on. Thank Thanks you. Thank us. you.